Would you turn with me to James chapter 4 as we look at the last few verses of this chapter? James chapter 4. We've been uh, working our way through James. We've noticed that James is a, is a book that, unlike a lot of the other letters in the Bible which deal with theology, James gets right into practical things. We, as you read the New Testament letters in particular, everywhere, uh, really from, from Paul to Revelation, they're all letters to various churches and pastors. Uh, you get this sense that it's not an easy thing to live in the Roman Empire of the first century. And uh, while Paul and others deal more directly with the theology that's been shaken up by, by uh, the culture, uh, James looks at the ethics. James is hearing things per- perhaps from the churches around, uh, the, around the world, around the Roman Empire, the Christian churches, and so he responds with some things that they need to be reminded of. And as we've noticed, James has been spending uh, time really kind of fleshing out for, that, for those particular churches and people uh, what Jesus had already taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's lots of different uh, parts of the Sermon on the Mount that come out in the book of James. Sometimes James gets very pointed on a specific issue. Maybe uh, it's whether we're listening to the Word or maybe it's Uh, how we use our tongues, or maybe it's church unity and church infighting or whatever. And sometimes he he backs up and looks at a little bit bigger picture, Uh, whether it be uh, wisdom and where does wisdom come from, or whether it be thinking a little bit about uh, some of the themes that you've probably noticed through the service this morning, the idea of, of who we are and our frailty and how short our days are, and, uh, and yet God is eternal. And that's kind of what he deals with here in this, in this particular few verses uh, in, a, in an interesting way. He talks about it in terms of God's will and our planning. And so that's what I want to focus on for a few moments this morning. So let's look at verses 13 through 17 of James 4. James 4, 13 to 17. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, Carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Conclude our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, as you gave James these words to to speak to the people of his day, but also to us, as you inspired these words to be the very word of God breathed by his Spirit, We pray now this day that you would breathe those words into us, that you would inspire those words to to each one of us and that you would take whatever we need to to hear, whatever we need to to do, and that we um, we might not only understand the word but seek to be doers of it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My timing always seems to be off. Early on in my ministry, 
I rarely carried an appointment calendar and was personally reprimanded for it by several pastors. In fact, they said half-jokingly, you can forget your Bible, but don't ever forget your calendar. Well, at that time, a calendar called a daytimer was the big thing in appointment calendars, or excuse me, appointment planners. While giving in to peer pressure, I was kind of shamed into it, I actually ordered a daytimer sample kit. And being a good Dutchman, I kept the freebies and began to use a cheap, unsophisticated calendar, which was actually also a free sample in the mail. But soon, daytimers gave way to PDAs, personal digital assistants, which I never broke down and bought. Then came computer calendars, which I finally got wise to, just in time to find out that everyone had their calendars on their phones. So when I finally decided to ditch my flip phone for a smartphone, I gave into this type of calendar, which is kind of nice because it syncs with my computer calendar and it syncs with Lorinda's, cal- Lorinda's calendar and her phone as well. And now people have, phone, have calendars on their watches. This is an old watch. All this is to say that we seem to be obsessed with personal planning. Personal planning, and, and some of us can't keep up. But James says in this passage that maybe we shouldn't be so obsessed with this. He even warns about churches giving into having a a daytimer attitude. People living by their future planning. Perhaps they were bragging about how many appointments they had lined up or how efficiently they ran their world. But James calls it boasting. And says something's missing in your daytimer or PDA or computer or phone or watch. Well, in the midst of this daytimer rat race, Charles Swindoll writes, James looks at playing God over our lives. The objective of this game is to imagine ourselves as the final authority over our lives and to live like it. You sequester God in his own compartment of your life and keep him there except in a rare instance when you're really in a bind. Now, most people wouldn't admit to banishing God to the back rooms of our lives, but many assign him sovereignty over certain tasks, keeping the daily and mundane for ourselves. God becomes a boss of religious issues, moral matters, international conflicts, questions of faith. That's his realm, but we'll handle things like finances, relationships, business decisions, those things that God could care less about as long as he has our hearts, end quote. But in the midst of all of this, James hollers, Stop! Look! Listen! He actually looks at that in reverse order, and he starts with, Listen. Listen to what you're saying. Verse 13, Now listen! You who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. In their conversations, James Here's their rules for playing God. Set your own schedule today or tomorrow. Select your own path. We will go to this or that city. Place your own limits and spend a year there. Arrange your own activities. Carry on business. 
and predict your own outcome. Make money. Now, this was a day and age in which there were people traveling and uh, doing their occupations in different locations, selling their wares, doing their, uh, like Paul, tent-making repairs and things like that. But they've got it all planned out. It's all put in their day timers. And James hears it in their conversations. Do we hear echoes of this in our conversations? At the core of this false philosophy is the idea that we are masters of our own destiny. We're masters of our own destiny. And such people recite the hymn of self-reliance encapsulated in William Ernest Hensley's poem, Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody, but I'm bowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the captain of my fate. I am the guardian of my soul. And James reminds them of teachings like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount or Proverbs 27, verse 1, which says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James says, listen to what you're saying, because it maybe tells, us, tells you something about your attitude. Secondly, he says, look at who you are. Verse 14, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Reminds us of a lot of the different passages that we read and prayed this morning. James stops us up short with a heavy dose of reality. Look at who you are. As mere mortals, we have no idea what the future will bring. And playing God with our lives is risky because we have no assurance of long life. A businessman had an angel visit him and promised to grant him one request. He asked for a newspaper one year into the future so he could invest in sure things in the stock market. Newspaper in hand, he was boasting of his plans to become unbelievably rich when he happened to glance across the page and saw his own picture in the obituary column. Suddenly, in the light of his pending death, money no longer seemed important. But simply look at the last couple of years. That, that sense of... Which, how, how much planning did we do that was erased in the last couple of years? Recently, a friend of mine, Lois Tverberg, an author and speaker, was writing about how excited she was to have two, two speaking engagements on her calendar again. You see, back in March 2020, she had speaking engagements lined up in Switzerland, Cincinnati, Dayton, Atlanta, Seattle, and Houston. But then COVID struck, and all her travel plans were canceled for over a year. Many of us could tell similar stories. Trips canceled, weddings postponed, patients in nursing homes or families across the border unvisited. 
Sometimes God allows things that remind us we're not in control. That we are, as James puts it, a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James says, look at who you are. And then finally, stop. Stop while you're behind. Verses 16 and 17. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He gives us two ways of, of, to stop playing God. In verse 17, know the right thing to do and then do the right thing. Know the right thing and then start doing the right thing. Psalm 14 verse 1 says that the definition of the fool is one who says there is no God. One who says there is no God. We, we would call that atheism. But another aspect of folly is to know and believe in the one true God, but to act like he's not God. To take the throne of our own lives. To not let God control the throne. And that is what we might call practical atheism. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do any planning. In fact, it's wise to do so. But as James warns, to speak of the future without any reference to God is to boast and brag. It attributes too much power and foresight to ourselves. Acting like we have the final say in the matter is sin. So what do we do? Well, tucked within these verses is verse 15. James says, Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Instead of bowing to our plans, we need to bow to God's will. And I, or instead of boasting of our plans, we need to bow to God's will. I use those words advisedly, boasting and bowing, because they give us a picture. A picture of a chin up or a head down. A posture of pride or of humility. What's really at issue is our will versus God's will. Now, sometimes God's will has a bad rap. Warren Wiersbe writes, Too many Christians look on the will of God as bitter medicine they must take instead of seeing it as the gracious evidence of the love of God. Maybe sometimes we have a problem with God's will. Maybe we're sure that when we bow to God's will, He's going to smack us over the head with a two-by-four or perhaps lay a cross on our shoulders. But that's inconsistent with what the Bible says. Think about the simple formula in the Bible. God has a plan for our lives. God is wise and loving. Therefore, God's will for our lives will be wise and loving. God has a plan for our lives. God is wise and loving. Therefore, God's will for our lives will be wise and loving. Practically, Bowing to God's will simply makes sense because God is the eternal constant in a world of temporary variables. And His will is done whether or not it's in our daytimers. 
His will is done, whether it's not in our daytime or isn't. In fact, God's will is like the laws of the universe. Cooperate with those laws and they work with us. Disobey and they work against us. A person who chooses to to disregard the law of gravity and walk off the top of a 10-story building is going to make quite a splash. But gravity is going to have its way. And God's will is also going to have its way. So James suggests we learn a little phrase. I learned it by its initials, DV. My grandfather would always go around saying, we'll do this, DV. We'll go there, DV. And then he explained to me that it was short for the Latin phrase, Deo Valente, which means God willing. Thinking about the past year, and looking at her new calendar appointments caused my friend Lois to reflect on James' words here. And so she writes, I used to see James' instruction to say, Lord willing, as a bit over the top. Now I'm starting to think differently. Now that the Delta variant is sweeping the globe and new disease outbreaks are filling hospitals to capacity yet again, James must have lived in a world like we experienced in 2020 with pandemics and protesters, political fights and riots in the streets. He knew that in every era of history, humans have had their plans crumpled and squashed by larger forces around them. Wars, pandemics, famine, economic downturns have occurred in every generation. We shouldn't take our prosperity and peace for granted, she writes. And she goes on, in Hebrew, Jews say Bezerat Hashem, with the help of God, when they talk about the plans for the future. In Arabic, people add Inshallah, if Allah wills it. These Eastern thinkers are already aware of our dependency on God. It's us in the West that don't think this way. As one Arab man put it, in the West, man is very big and God is very far away. She writes, now I better understand the wisdom of thinking in terms of Lord willing and continually reminding myself of my smallness and dependency on God. Maybe we've learned a little bit of that in the last couple of years as well. James suggests that we learn this phrase well. Deo Valente, DV. We have to be careful, however, because it could just become a cliché or a knock-on-wood superstition. It shouldn't be merely a statement from the lips, but an attitude of the heart, recognizing God's control over life and willingly bowing to it. So instead of living with the attitude of the poem we cited earlier, Invictus, I'm the captain of my fate, I'm the guardian of my soul, Perhaps our attitude could better be reflected in the song, Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. And especially verse 5. Take my will. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. It's about allowing God to be on the throne of our lives. His will, not ours. James says, I'll let you in on a little secret. 
God's daytimer is bigger and better than ours. God's daytimer is bigger and better than ours, and it's the only daytimer in the world that will never need whiteout or deleting. So we'd be wise if we insist on carrying a daytimer in whatever form to write DV on every page. Let's commit ourselves to start that tomorrow. DV. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who's in control. Even when our lives seem to spiral out of control, even when we feel helpless, when we feel frail, Lord, we, we pray that we might learn earlier on rather than later when it's too late to allow you to take the throne of our lives, that we might bow to your will and not our own, that we might live by the theme of that song we're going to sing, Take My Life and Let It Be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.